0: Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The Great and Powerful has spoken. Who are you? Oh well, I, I, I am the Great and Powerful. Wizard of Oz.
1: Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern-day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage, the three Cs. Aaron, who do we have with us today?
2: Yeah. So here's the deal. The church world has gone crazy, really for the last century, but specifically in seasons of oppression, persecution, particularly in first world context where things did not go according to script, according to our plans at least, and maybe none more so, although it could be argued from history that it's kind of been this way for the last century plus, but Uh, In the last year and a half, we have seen this around matters concerning the end times, the return of Jesus. Who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? Is the COVID-19 vaccine the mark of the beast? Who will be left behind? Uh, Yes. And so over the centuries, countless well-intentioned Christians have predicted the return of Jesus or have prophesied of a rising man of sin slash Antichrist slash beast of revelation with these forecasts reaching a feverish crescendo in recent years. But can we actually know who the Antichrist is or when Jesus will return? Can we, do, we, do we have any proof around biblical proof, historical proof around these issues? And to help us answer that question today, Or at least try to, right? At least try to. (laughs) He has all the answers, is what I was told. That's what I was told. uh, Is my buddy, who I haven't seen in a while because of COVID, has uh, kind of wrecked all of our pastoral plans. Um, Mm. But uh, the pastor, the lead pastor, planting pastor of Bay Cities Fellowship, you guys have been up and running for about two and a half years or so now. A little longer than that. A little longer than that.
0: four officially this September.
2: Wow. Wow. So Ken Thompson on the (laughs) podcast. yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so, Yeah, that's that's how we do things at Out of Oz. Um, we have a live studio audience, so I love I, it, man. I, and look, one of one of the one of the things about <laughs> Out of Oz, I'll just say it here: is a lot of the topics we cover are heavily and hotly debated within Christianity. Are controversial topics, um, but a we don't think that just because they're controversial, they shouldn't be addressed. Uh, actually, the opposite should typically be true. We shouldn't just go with the tides in the culture, uh, even within the subculture of Christianity. And B, these are questions that you guys are bringing, that, that the listeners and those watching out of Oz, the, the questions that are circulating throughout Christianity. And so we want to answer this today. And I think that all three of us might have differing views biblically, historically on the end times, but we'll see. Ken and I literally text back and forth like twice about this. So we'll, we'll kind of see. What's in the I records. do my
1: best to keep my end times views off the record. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll be hearing mostly from the pastors today. <laughs> All right. So why don't you give just briefly a brief definition of eschatology, and then you can kind of give us where you're at, how you interpret it, what's left open, what you feel more confident, less confident. We'll kind of get your guys' views before we jump into the specific topic.
0: Well, it's fun to be here, uh, especially with a a topic like this. Um, So I think when you talk about eschatology, end times, I think probably my guess is most people just think like Tim LaHaye, you know, Rapture, end of the world, you know, uh, Kirk Cameron stuff, you know, uh, all all the left behind. And I think end times, you've got general eschatology, you got personal eschatology. Personally, uh, I do think there is a literal heaven and hell. I think uh I think that there will be a final judgment. I think that anyone who is in Christ will experience salvation and deliverance from that eternal judgment and condemnation. Generally speaking, is kind of what we're we're here today for. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. New to the yeah. podcast. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where I do think that there is going to be a fulfillment of scriptural prophecies that have maybe an already, but not yet uh nature to. So I think um, meaning specifically, I do think uh, there will be uh, a literal physical return of Jesus to this earth. Uh, I think that is part and parcel to the fulfillment of promises to going all the way back to Genesis. Uh, at the same time though, um, Like just to kind of unpack what that looks like, I I don't necessarily think it looks like maybe how I cut my teeth, uh, where I cut my teeth and some of my theological training. I think that return would be uh, described as like historic premillennialism sure, um, opposed to maybe like a a dispensational premillennialism where there's a a rapture. And but that, we'll talk about that later too, Um, at least I think we will. That's
2: the plan. That's the plan. That's the plan. Um, who knows? The Lord might return. Who knows? The going, Lord might so. return.
0: Um, so visible. So
1: then you guys will have to p- finish the podcast
2: Yeah, on there you we go. Yeah. yeah.
0: So a visible, literal return of Jesus to this earth would be, you know, my general eschatological viewpoint. Sure. Um, and then we can, you know, keep it moving from there and unpack yeah. other things. Do you things. think
1: that the Antichrist has already come or it will come in the future?
0: Yeah, um, you know it's interesting because or is here right now. Yeah, well, I don't know is probably the best answer to that question. Okay. Um I do know that, like for instance, like in First John four, and even in in the Gospel of John, he talks about there is the Spirit of Antichrist yeah. that's already been here or is here. Yeah, uh, there have many that have come in the name of Christ that are false. There is something to be said about First Thessalonians four about this man of sin that seems to be, you know, maybe the the antichrist uh, that you know like the beast in Revelation thirteen. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if he's here. I don't think that person has been here particularly. However, I do think there will be, according to my maybe her- hermeneutical approach to sure. scripture, there will be a culmination of uh, an antichrist upon this earth
2: at some point. Yeah. So, cool. so you're more, you would lean more Ken kind of in the futurist camp. But like, it's happened, most of the stuff is still yet to be fulfilled, most of the prophecies.
0: My, my approach to scripture, hermeneutically speaking, sure. grammatical, historical, literary, I think for a long time, seminary, early church ministry, I felt like a lot of my approach was very linear, uh, very wooden. Sure. I think in and around seminary, I appreciated much more a canonical view of scripture. So like, for instance, how do Peter and Paul interpret the prophecies of the Old Testament uh, in their writings, in their expectations? And it felt like to me, there was a lot of, hey, some of this stuff already exists, maybe spiritually speaking, uh, but yet there are some physical... Implications that have yet to be fulfilled. Okay. So I do think there are lots of things that will occur here on this earth that have not already been fulfilled. Okay. But yeah, I think there are some existing elements of that maybe that have been fulfilled or are already being fulfilled, so
2: to speak, in Christ. Sure. Okay. Um, no, that's good. That's good. Um, so as you can probably already tell from just Ken's explanation. Within Orthodox Christianity, historically speaking, biblically speaking, there are a myriad of differing opinions. There are some hybrids of this. There are different interpretative methods, primarily four. Um, We will not get into two of those today, the historical interpretative method and the idealistic method, which was – some of those were very popular among the reformers and during the Age of Enlightenment. But the two primarily that are most prolific today would be a, a futuristic model that there's still yet to come. A lot of the events predicted by Jesus in Matthew 24 and the Mark 13 and, and I think Luke 21, the Olivet Discourse when he gave this sermon on the Mount of Olives and the book of revelation, as well as some passages from Daniel and and old Testament prophecies. Um, So a lot of that's still to be fulfilled. There are differing opinions as has already mentioned that, that some would take that, that some of that's been fulfilled in part, but the full culmination of that where Christians agree, and this is very important where all Christians agree is I would, I would argue is that we do believe in the physical return of Christ, that he will come back in that final consummation, that final judgment We do believe that typically that these prophetic or apocalyptic books were prophesying, at least in their time period, something that was futuristic. The other position outside of futurism would be um, partial preterism. This is where I would stand, um, that I believe that the events that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, that all these things this, this generation will not pass to all these things that I've prophesied, this destruction takes place. Uh, and the events that that John wrote about in the book of Revelation were future to their time period, but are now past to us. So uh, in, according to my hermeneutical approach, the only thing really left on the, eschatological timeline is the second coming of Christ. That I, I believe the man of sin, man of lawlessness, you know, in, in Thessalonians, the the beast of revelation has already been fulfilled. I I take that that approach of the antichrist, according to John's writings are many multiple antichrists or spirit of antichrist, anyone who opposes the work of Christ, um, even professing Christians or preachers who aren't preaching the true gospel, they're antichrists. So many of those will come. But as far as a man of lawlessness, man of sin, and the beast of revelation, I think they've been fulfilled. I think the tribulation period, that seven-year period where a lot of my futuristic friends would say it's in the future, is still yet to occur. And that was that's a very, very popular view in Christianity today, but I would see where that's already has occurred. And so that, that's kind of, we talked about eschatology once again, we're talking about eschatos, that that Greek understanding of the end of time, what's going to happen in the end, but contained therein is all of these buzzwords within Christianity, the Antichrist, the Beast of Revelation, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, the tribulation period, the March of the Beast, all that is there. And so um, th- those are kind of the two approaches most Christians today are going to take is either a preterist, preter from Latin meaning past, it was in the future of the writers, but it's in the past of us now, or if more so futuristic approach that these prophecies are still yet to be fulfilled.
1: Okay. So let's get into some of the buzzwords that a lot of people have questions on, um, and we'll get to the overarching Antichrist question, but just when talking about left behind and the Kirk Cameron stuff, the books, the <laughs> movies, where we see the rapture, where we all disappear and our clothes are sitting in the chairs. And that's how we'll really know like pastors of churches aren't actually Christians and all these people that'll be, spread. I do think there's some truth to that. And I think there's some truth to the road is narrow and there'll be less people that are Christians than rather than more, but that might be a discussion for another day. Yeah. So talk about the rapture. Do you feel like there is a biblical there's biblical truth to the fact that a rapture will happen. If so, when will it happen? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, kind of explain what we think about that.
2: And for those who are newer to this, and this is a once again a complex, convoluted subject of discussion. Um, when Peter says pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I just want to be clear, there is a, a lot of talk seemingly within scripture on a tribulation, a great tribulation will come upon the earth. Uh, the futurists will believe that's in the future. Typically, it's it's still yet to come where a man of sin or the beast will be revealed. The preterists will believe that's in the past. But regardless, for the futurists especially, will Jesus come back in a rapture pre-tribulation, before the tribulation period and take up his people, which is which is the Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, Kirk Cameron viewpoint and very – very popular in Christianity in the last 150 years. Will he come back mid-trib, which is less popular, but seems perhaps to have more biblical credence behind it? Will he come back in kind of a pre-wrath rapture, about six years into the seven-year stint? Or will it be one in the same, a post-trib, which is more the historic pre-mill camp of there's only one rapture. There's only one parousia in the Greek, uh, that second coming of Christ, where he will take up his people, 1 Thessalonians 4, and, and return in power. And so that's what Peter means by that. Ken, I'm guessing where you might land on that, but I might be wrong.
0: I think it would be probably inconsistent if I was going to say I'm his, uh, a historic premillennialist in my view to not say I'm in belief of a post-tribulational True. rapture. That being said, though, you know, the, the the idea of the, like, even just the, the simple, the word rapture, I, I think I think because, you know, for all being honest, in any of us who, are in our sincere faith, love for the Lord, there is, just because there's the unknown of the future, there's a, either a curiosity, maybe even a fear. So I think when it, when you think about end times, it's easy to just to speculate in general, like, what does this look like? What's going to happen? And I think it's funny, it's interesting to think of, like, this one particular word, rapture. It's just like, it can put people, you know, on edge, you know, confu- is confusing. You know, you mentioned the first Thessalonians 4 passage. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the, the Greek word there that we would call rapture, take up. It's the only time it's used sure. in the New Testament. And um, as I was thinking about this, preparing for this, when I think about eschatology in general. I feel like the things I hold like close, close-handed are my interpretational methods of scripture. Sure how I interact the scripture from front to back cover to cover. When it comes to play with like the details of the eschaton, yeah. It's like this is what I think, this is what sure. I would suggest.
1: Do you think that's how it should be because like it's not as obvious or clear in the Bible as some other things? Like do you think that that's okay for people to just be there with some of the details of end times? Like I do think some people go too far as to where they're like and I can be guilty of this too or like Honestly, I don't even want to try to figure it out because it's so confusing. I'd rather focus on what I feel like is more practical to my life and my family and, and my, the people I'm trying to disciple and the people that are discipling me, trying to make the best decisions I can in my life. That's hard enough just to try to figure out theology, let alone eschatology. So do you think that that's, I don't know if I want to say like purposeful by God or the way that he breathed scripture, but it's not super clear, right? Like some other things.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's a very fair fair assessment and fair like concession. I think, you know, given the fact that scripture is understandable, given that we have the Holy Spirit as our guide for interpretation, given that I think God wants us to know and understand his will, his purposes, I think there ought to be some attention given to like, hey, what does this mean? Probably not so much like what will this look like per se versus what should our response be to the fact that Jesus is coming back. So, for instance, um, I belong to a church uh, a while back that uh, went through a teaching series on Revelation and did a very careful job to draw straight lines. Like, this is this in Revelation, this is what I think it looks like here in present day. And I'm just like, I didn't say this, but I was like, you know, you're tripping. Like, th- like even, even though I don't necessarily like entirely disagree with what you're trying to do, it, it just doesn't fit. Like, you're forcing it. And I, and I think, like, so, for instance, if that type of approach was taken to the first coming of Jesus, like, hey, let's try to spell this out from what Isaiah says, or, you know, even like in Genesis three, like, if they were trying to make those straight line, you know, like, hey, this is what it says, this will look like, people would have been confused and frustrated with when is the first Messiah coming? So, I think equally trying to do that today is is equally as confusing and frustrating, yeah. even though... We have apocalyptic literature in Daniel and, and Revelation that gives us a picture. I really don't think though, and this is probably where my eschatological viewpoints are a little bit like muddied in that I believe there's an openness. Like, so... I was reading through Revelation and it's very easy to, I think, to have the scene, the fulfillment things in Christ. All the promises of God have their well, yes they Jesus. Were. yeah, and Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, though, I see in Genesis, in Romans, even this, if God is going to be faithful to the completion of his plans and promises in this earth, upon this earth. There are things that yet need to be occurred. Uh, there are, there are, and, and I think those things will be occurred when Jesus comes back upon this earth to rule and reign before a final judgment. And that's, that's consistent with what you see in translate, you know, moving through Revelation into Revelation 20. And then also, I think, in conjunction with the promises that seem to be apparent, even in Genesis with a people and a place upon this earth. So I probably went way off your original no, question. No, that's but. Good. I, no, I think
2: it's good. I think there's, there is so much. And here, here's the issue. Scripture, scripture talks about eschatology and prophecy a lot. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, 30% of the content of the four Gospels is prophetic in nature. That doesn't mean it's not confusing, though. Right. That doesn't mean it's not heavy. And for our listeners who are out there going, "Oh, I don't get it then. Like, how can, how can Ken and Aaron and Peter take Romans or Ephesians and just be so dogmatic on those? There's, there's different types mm. of literature within the Biblios, within the library of Scripture. And so there are historical documents. She talked about the Gospels, um, even though they have instruction within them that are pretty easy to articulate and to interpret what they mean, because they're historical records for us, like reading an inspired history book. Um, Then there are epistles. There are letters of instruction like Romans and first Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, whatever. Those are more so straightforward though. They contain infinite, intrinsic, beautiful, weighty, divine topics. We can parse those. When you come to prophetic or this apocalyptic literature, Good reform Christian gospel center folks begin to, to, begin to split a little bit because it's not as easy to come down firmly on interpretive methods. We've already talked about futuristic versus spreaders, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to read this and say, what do we believe by the power of the Spirit the author is trying to get across here? What do we the Lord is communicating? If we if we believe, which we all do, that. God let nothing slip by accident that's in scripture. So revelation is there on purpose. The Olivet Discourse is there on purpose. Joel and Daniel and Ezekiel and and these prophetic passages are there on purpose. What did he mean by that? And so when it comes to the rapture per se, the reason why, you know, this is such a hot topic is Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the, the parousia, the second coming of Christ, therefore comfort one another with these words. And what we have seen over Christianity in the last century plus, and especially over the last two years here with COVID and the election and political upheaval, is anything but comfort. It's fear-mongering. It's, it's scaring. It is, And that's not how we're supposed to live. As a matter of fact, when when the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, and all the more, provoke one another to love and good works, don't neglect to gather together as the church. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, the second coming of Christ should always be a catalyst for Renewed vigor for him and passion for him and comfort in him and hope in him instead of fear and hatred and divide. And so I think these things are important specific to the rapture. My view would be that the rapture is a biblical concept, but it is the second coming of Christ. It's not separate from. So there's no nothing before a tribulation period or mid or after. It's just one event where Christ comes back for Thessalonians chapter four and raptures up his people and brings judgment upon the earth and fulfills all that Ken's talking about. That would be my understanding of the rapture. As far as a, a pre-tribulational rapture, it's very important that, and look, I have some good friends that are pre-tribbers, but it's very important that Christians understand that not only, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many good theologians, is it not biblically substantiated, a split in the rapture, like, meaning a rapture and then a second coming, not biblically substantiated. In my estimation, we could talk through this text. We don't have time today. But also, historically, it is a very new concept on the landscape of Christianity. I mean, up until really the 1830s with John Nelson Darby and a prophetess, a 15-year-old prophetess from Scotland named Margaret MacDonald, there was no concept of a rapture as separate from a second coming. And with the rise of, Ken mentioned, dispensationalism, C.I. Schofield, Ryrie, Lewisberry Schaefer, a Dallas Theological, that has been promulgated now. And then in the 1970s, it really just took off with some of these distant thunder, image of the beast, Thief in the Night movies, uh, a lot of people predicting when the end would be in the 1970s, 1980s, the Vietnam War, the, the Cold War, 1993, Y2K, all these prophecies. And now that's just continued today. And so I think there needs to be clarity on this that, hey, you know, I know that people push this forward and it's very popular, but it's not a biblical concept and it's not a historical reality. If you took any other, I'm convinced you took any other doctrine or teaching in the church that had not been taught in the first 18 and a half centuries of Christianity, and all of a sudden it took the church world by storm, pastors everywhere, Christians everywhere would be like, no, that's wrong. That, that can't be true. But we've done this when it comes to eschatology and the rapture specifically.
1: Okay. So I think. We've talked a lot about it. Good people, scholars, Christian guys can really, and gals can really disagree on this, right? So we've kind of gotten that. We've given a, a very in depth overview, but let's get to because of politically and culturally where we're at, we're at right now in society. Yeah. Let's get to a question that a lot of people have. And that's, and I think we talked a little bit about how there's this overarching spirit of the beast, maybe, and it's not one individual man, um, or maybe it has been someone in the past. So there's been a ton of cry about people like Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg being either the antichrist and beast, or at least being part of that, you know, spirit like we talked about a little bit. So why don't we dig into that and dig into, do you think that's possible? Okay. Even if not probable or not, you're going to stand on your mountain and say it absolutely is one of them. Is it possible that it's one of them? And if not, why do people feel so strongly about the fact that this is one of them?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if you take a futuristic approach to this, none of those guys really fit the bill of the beast of revelation or the man of lawlessness, meaning that what the futuristic approach would be, and can you correct me on this if I'm wrong, but from everything I have read and seen and heard is that the beast or the singular antichrist, man of lawlessness, will be someone who unites the nations instead of divides them. That will, if it, if it was possible, the elect, those chosen by God and brought to salvation, even they could be deceived by him. I mean, this is going to be somebody who, if he is still yet to be revealed, somebody very charismatic, someone very spiritual. So not Bill Gates. <laughs> Probably not, or Donald Trump, for that matter. Because Donald Trump is clearly he has a different definition. Divisive, of charisma, but. like like people either love or hate him. The the futuristic understanding and explanation of the beast of Revelation, man of lawlessness, of. 2 uh, Thessalonians is that he will unite the nations. He will bring people into kind of a one world order. I don't believe that because I'm preterist, but that is the futuristic understanding. Is that, is that fair, Ken? I think it's very fair. Okay.
1: So Ken, do you think it's possible that one of these guys today could be the Antichrist or at least part of the, I get what you mean by it doesn't necessarily have to be one person. There's going to be people suppressing Christians or tricking Christians or... Putting evil all over the place and elevating evil. So, do you think it could be one of these people? Do you think it's somebody going to be somebody like that? What do you think it would look like?
0: Possible, maybe, probable, no. Okay. I mean, like, possible because what it seems to be indicated by how I'm understanding Revelation is that this particular person, you know, possesses, wields, Satanic influence, evil. So, I mean, you know, any unregenerate, unbelieving person is, this opens up a different can of worms, but sure. liable or suspect to that type of demonic influence. Now, if, you're, if you think Satan is bound and, and doesn't have that, you know, which is, again, a possible interpretational thing, then yeah, it doesn't make sense.
1: I think we, we can all agree probable no. Okay, yeah. but let's get into why why it's possible. Why are people getting so yeah, crazed about I, this? I think, like,
0: yeah, I think I think when you when you're looking at scripture and you're anticipating some unique, powerful, almost majestic, if you will, figure that wields influence, carries authority, that has um the ability to force carry out an agenda that seems apocalyptic in nature, I think it's easy. I think I could see why you could look to some of these figures who have that type of wealth, influence, power, and say, oh, could it be him? I mean, a great example in history, like an Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Uh, looking at a guy, I mean, especially a guy like that, who's evil in his purposes, who took out even how many millions of, of Jewish, you know, the Jewish people are just killing. And so I think it's very easy to look at people like that, especially, and be like, oh man, he could have been it. At the same time though I, I just don't know if that is the expectation anticipation of the authors of scripture for us to to feel the way or the need to identify that person i think it probably will be most clearly identified who that man is when jesus comes and takes him out according to how i would view the second coming of jesus
1: so you think he'll be here when jesus returns
0: i think i think absolutely he will be here okay. in in some form of power i think understanding the post-tribulational view that I would take, the, the the catching up of the church is at the coming of Jesus to rule and reign upon this earth, to put his enemies in submission that are here upon this earth. And namely, following the track of revelation, he would be certainly the figurehead, the representation of those enemies, if not the the leader of them himself. Do
1: you think there will be stuff like his patent with the name of what he did comes out to 666? He did this, or said this, or wants us all to take a shot that's going to put a tracking device. in? do you think it's going to be stuff like that? Do you think it'll be that obvious that Christians should be able should be on the look for that and should try to fight against, stay away from, you know, come together against things like that?
0: That's a great question. So specifically, you know, just to kind of you know surface the implication or the specific nuance in there. I, I don't think co- a COVID vaccine. I don't. I don't think that's like, uh, you know, the, the means of, of the Antichrist unification efforts. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. I think that's silly. Um, I think for me, where I, I might, you know, if someone's listening to this, that's agreeing with my more historic pre approach, where I might, you know, lose some, frustrate some people, is that like, I wrestle through reading Revelation and feeling like, okay, can I take apocalyptic literature and, and draw, like, how straight of lines can I draw? I struggle with that because I don't think you can as much. So I, I hold a lot of that stuff. Like I'm not going to be looking to things like COVID vaccines, people like Bill Gates, and, and I'm not going to be suspicious. Um, I think I think I can also equally though understand where someone who might be fearful of end times and trying to approach scripture like so literally that they would do that, and I, and I and I, res- I guess maybe not respect, but I'm sympathetic. Sure. Towards that type of thinking, sure. I just don't agree with it.
1: So, Aaron, after hearing that, right, so we kind of get that position that it is possible in, in different ways as to why it could be possible. Your position thinks it's impossible, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I – Because
2: think it's already happened. So, just to be clear, I think 1st, 2nd John, when speaking of Antichrist, I think they will be persistent throughout time. So, I, do I think okay, Bill, Bill right. Gates, uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden – could be antichrist. I think anyone who pollutes mm. the message of the gospel is an opponent to Christ. Um, I'm not saying that Donald Trump isn't a Christian or Joe Biden isn't. I don't. I don't know there. I don't know where they stand before the Lord. But I know that the Biden and Trump brands of Christianity are not biblical Christianity. Mm. You know, and so could they have a spirit of antichrist within them? Like it actually says in Scripture that many antichrists will come. Like there's going to be many antichrists. And so what's happened? What's become very popular in the last century plus is to equate the antichrist singular with the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians and with the beast of Revelation. I actually see all three of them as very different. I see the, the Antichrist as multiple people that are still in the modern scene today that have been throughout history. Um, was Hitler an Antichrist? Absolutely. Are false preachers and teachers Antichrist? Absolutely. Is According to the reformers, was the Pope an, an Antichrist? Yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody who is polluting the gospel, destroying the gospel is an Antichrist. Um, the man of lawlessness, I think, was General Titus in eighty seventy. And he was cut off, though he was not killed. He was removed by the Lord at the coming of Christ, not the physical coming of Christ, but the coming and judgment of Christ upon Jerusalem in 70 AD. And I think the beast of Revelation, to me very clearly, is Nero, was was Emperor Nero, who reigned from 54 to 68 AD. Uh, He was called by, according to Roman historians, called by the people of Rome by his favorite moniker, the beast. I think uh, I take an early dating of the book of Revelation that John wrote it most likely in the 60s. I think Mm -hmm. there's internal evidence for that. I get the external evidence against that, but the internal evidence would be that that the Lord tells John to go actually measure the temple, which was destroyed in 70 AD. So if it was written in the 90s, it cannot revelation. He couldn't actually do what the Lord's commanding to mark off and measure the temple. Uh, Also, John says repeatedly seven different times the time is at hand it's about to take place you're going to recognize these things he's talking to his readers his contemporary readers of that day and so i take a uh, early dating of the book of revelation probably around 65 66 ad during the reign of nero and because I take that, and that's kind of my interpretative method and structure. So just to be clear with our listeners, the futurist is looking forward to sometimes with a straight line, like you've talked about, mm-hmm. Ken, and sometimes with more of more ambiguity and openness to where, where this could land. the preterist is looking backwards kind of with that straight line and saying, what, was, what were these passages in Revelation 6, 7, 8, 13, 17? What were they talking about? I think once again, for the comfort of the church and the clarity of the church, I think these discussions are important. So for me, as I look at this, how do I say that Nero specifically is the beast of revelation that he's been revealing? Like how, how would I draw that conclusion? Because that sounds really far-fetched and crazy to a lot of people. And
1: I kind of want to hear what Ken says about yeah, you yeah, thinking yeah. So, that it's Nero. So if you want to give why yeah, yeah, you I'll, think it I'll is, give, and then so, I kind of want to hear why you think it's probably mm-hmm. not possible, but mm-hmm. not
2: probable maybe. So the... The beast of Revelation will unite the world by force. He will make war. He will persecute the church. He will demand worship. Like these are all concepts that you see in Revelation thirteen seventeen. No, no one believes. No matter what your interpretation method, that the dragon of Revelation is a literal dragon. Almost everyone agrees that's Satan, that's satanic demonic influence, and that the dragon is controlling the beast. So most likely, not just oppressing and guiding, but possessing the beast. Which there's. I would argue that Nero was most likely demon possessed. Um, When it talks there in Revelation, it talks about seven heads. Rome was the the seven-hilled city. Just to be clear, if if John is writing this and he's in Roman captivity, he's writing the book of Revelation. He's purposely, most likely, according to scholars in my camp, the Predator's camp, writing in code. Because as a prisoner of Rome, if he actually calls out Nero and calls out the city of Rome and calls out the Jewish leaders, who I believe are the harlot, If he calls these out, it can mean it could cost him his life or they would not release the scroll to be distributed throughout, you know, Asia Minor like it was. So he writes in code, but code that Jewish readers would understand in the first century. So he actually says there, it's either Revelation 13 or 17. He says to his readers, you will recognize the beast and his number, which is 666. Now he's writing that they're receiving this in the 60s A.D. And they're not going, okay, I recognize the beast. It's Donald Trump, or it's Bill Gates, or it's Mussolini, or it's Adolf Hitler. No, it's someone who's living contemporary to them. And who has the number 666? Who has the moniker, the beast? Well, Nero does. Who has the number 666? Whether we realize this or not, um, we're more familiar with it than we realize. In ancient alphabets, there was always a, a correlating numerology to them, right? Like we know this from Roman numerals. A V is a five and an X is a 10 and L is 50. Well, the same was true in the Jewish literature. And if you take the Jewish language without any distortion and you decipher from 666, the numbers, the letters that correspond to that literally spell Neron Kaiser, Caesar Nero. And so he's saying you will recognize him. And here's how you're going to recognize him. His number is 666. Also, he talks about the seven heads. uh, Rome was the seven-hilled city. You've got things like he says, uh, I think it's in Revelation 17, that five emperors or five kings, that there's going to be seven kings, five have been, one is, and one will be revealed for a short time. So you're going, okay, if I'm a first century reader, who are the five kings? Uh, yes, the Romans called their kings Caesars, but the Jews called the Caesars kings. We see this in the Gospel of Mark. We have no king but Caesar. And so you look at that and you go, okay, where did, where did the Where did the Caesars begin? Well, it began with Julius Caesar, and then it went to Octavian or Caesar Augustus. And then it went to Caligula, or I'm sorry, Tiberius, and then Caligula and Claudius. Around the time of Tiberius, even Octavian, they began to think of the Caesars as gods to be worshiped. So you got Tiberius was third, then Caligula, then Claudius, and then Nero is the sixth. He says five have been, one is, the sixth is right now, and one will come. And that was Galba who came and reigned for about seven or eight months in the year of the four emperors. And so once again, as a historian, I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm going, does it add up to me it doesn't feel like a stretch it feels like john's writing this so that his readers would understand he's saying the time is at hand he's saying it's taking place you read the the jewish wars by josephus and He's embarrassed to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, the earthquake, because he sees it as an act of God against the people. And so I don't see this tribulation coming upon the earth as the whole earth. I see it upon the land of Palestine, which is another rendering of that word there in the Greek, and specifically the city of Jerusalem. And there's actually instruction to the people that when they see this devastation coming to flee Jerusalem, which would have been countercultural, they would have run to Jerusalem for protection. But to the Christians, it's flee from this and flee into the hills, into the mountains. And so the Christians are reading this, knowing this time is at hand, it's about to take place, look for these signs. Uh, I think Titus is is the one who offered the pig on the altar, the abomination of desolation, you know, in 8070. He's the one who destroyed Jerusalem. So he is, I believe, the man of lawlessness, second Thessalonians, and I think Nero – and there, there's other reasons for this. And just to be in, in fairness, there, there are a lot of good scholars and Christians, you know, Ken included, who don't see Nero as the man of revelation, as a wicked man, as an antichrist, sure. But all of this would lead me to this conclusion that this makes the most sense instead of speculating and wondering who it could be. And, keep, and we keep getting it wrong and predicting who it is, which I appreciate what Ken said. He's not trying to do that, but some futurists do. To me, it's like, yeah, there's gonna be Antichrist come, but the man of lawlessness and the beast of Revelation have already come.
1: All right, Ken, a lot there. Yeah. There's a lot, yeah, there's so a lot. much. Sorry. I think, Sorry. and it's totally yeah. fine
0: to just. So I'll there's say just this. a couple points. Yeah. So real, real quick. So I commend Aaron, consistent. He's he's being consistent with his hermeneutical approach.
2: Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean, I think I think what's humorous, or at least ironic to me a little bit. And again, I, I would probably put myself in a, not like a unique position, like I'm the only one, but like in a maybe a, a, a muddied position in that. So some of the the woodenness that I would criticize that people do looking forward, I might have a a check of what Aaron did looking backwards. So sure. Aaron drew straight lines backwards that said, hey, here's bam, bam, bam. Not not saying that was like wrong for him to do. It's okay I, if it's you fair. say that. It's fair. So like I said earlier, Close-handed from my from my right. personal opinion about how I interpret like how I approach scripture, open-minded especially with apocalyptic interpretation, eschatology in general. So, um, what he did there was helpful in understanding how you could look back and see scripture fulfilled, and stay within a grammatical, historical, literary approach to scripture. So, you know, kudos to Aaron for for staying consistent. Uh, in both interpretation, but also, you know, uh, application as well. I think for me personally, when I see prophecy in scripture, you often get, in, in, at any point, you often get this statement, you know, like for instance, my mind goes to, to Acts 2 uh, at Pentecost. Peter is saying, hey, here's what's happening here in reference to what spoke about in Joel. And he says, and it will be in the last days said God, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. It was interesting when, when when you read that, but then you jump back to Joel and you see like the broader vision of Joel, you see like, God's work already in fulfillment namely the part of the spirit's pouring out but when you jump back to when you jump back to Joel and you read like what's happening here there seems to be something that is not yet occurred or that will occur in the future so there is a judgment there is a rebellion there is an outpouring of wrath of God's you know working upon this earth Again, I think the most the most helpful game changing way to read scripture for me is through the lens of already, but not yet. Sure. And so like that that's where I probably hold tightly to in reading any of the prophetic sure. events in Daniel, in Revelation, in Genesis, in Roman. I mean, when you see what God has done here upon this earth, especially as we think about the work of Jesus. I think it's easy to see God's prophetic fulfillment through the coming of Jesus, but I think it should be through the lens of like two comings. Sure. So right now I think, you know, Aaron has seen it through one coming or namely that, you know, what God's, God's work upon this earth. Sure. I see it through two. I think you can make a, a reasonable argument for those things occurring um, historically. When you read the the dynamic of the worldwide Affliction, the worldwide rebellion, the the wrath of God occurring upon all nations. Sure. It seems like yeah, Matthew twenty four, flee like when tribulation comes, flee to the mountains. It makes sense that that could be applied in the the destruction of Jerusalem eighty seventy. But yet, taking a later date of Revelation, closer to eighty ninety, I'm like, man, it seems like John has something more in mind than just simply what's happening there in Palestine that yeah. has a worldwide implication.
2: Yeah. And I can definitely appreciate that. I mean, I think the 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 dividing line, one of the things that drove me toward preterism, um, and I've heard the futuristic approach to this, and I get it. I understand what they're saying. But when Jesus says in all three of those synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke—that this generation will not pass until everything that I'm prophesying right now takes place. I agree that I mean I think we all as Christians read in a as Scripture was written, it was a not yet. Even as Joel was written, or Isaiah, or Micah, it was a not yet Messiah fulfillment. But then Messiah came, and I think that's that's how the preterist is going to approach this. Is John was predicting, Jesus was predicting, but when Jesus said this generation will not pass, in fairness, Bertrand Russell, brilliant anti-theist of the last century. Christopher Hitchens, brilliant anti-theist of this century, who sadly died in 2011, but their biggest gripes with Christianity is they believe Jesus was a false prophet because he said, this generation will not pass until all these things are fulfilled. And you Christians have to jump through hoops on this to make a different interpretation of that that word generation. 38 times in the gospels that word generations uh, use every single time is within a certain time period, within 40 years. And so, for me, once again, as a preterist, I go, well, no, no, he's not a false prophet. He said, This generation will not pass until I return in wrath to judge the people, not in my second coming, where my feet are going to hit the earth, but in a coming in judgment to judge. Uh, and he did that within that, I believe, within that single generation. He, he prophesied that in 32, 33 AD before his death. And then a generation was 40 years, according to, to the Jewish calendar. And in 70 AD, you know, Rome falls. And so, I, I once again I hear from my futuristic friends that the generation there means a type of people or something, you know, mm-hmm. figurative or allegorical. And I and I get that because the preterist uses allegory and figurative language as well when dealing with prophetic literature, it's necessary. But I think that Jesus was speaking specifically to his people and saying one stone in the temple would not be left upon the other. When you see this, run to the mountains, run to the hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just makes the most sense to me once again. And I have lots of friends who disagree, but that yeah. makes the most sense within a preteristic framework.
0: So why not to you? I think to, a, you know, to the audience and to whom he was speaking with, it makes sense. It was a Jewish audience. But since there is the inclusion of the Gentiles in Christ, I think it goes beyond that. So I think to those people in that day, there was judgment. There was fulfillment already. You know, what that there was the destruction of Jerusalem. They they did need to flee. He he was right in fulfilling that. Those, that Jewish audience who he was living with, interacting with, suffered that judgment. However, to say that for me personally, to say to equate Jesus coming in judgment according to what I see what. Coming looks like a scripture, I think that involves his physical, visible body return, sure. opposed to more a metaphorical, you know, spirit of judgment, if that's you know a fair way to put it. Yeah.
2: To be to be completely fair to this, the futurist is going to interpret generation figuratively and return literally. Yep. And the preterist is going to interpret return literally, but not a physical coming down physical manifestation and generation literally. And that's where you, you you can't take both literally. You can't say it's a literal generation and yet it's a literal setting his feet upon the earth. Like you can't do both. And so you have to figure out what is Jesus saying there. So
1: when we look at what's happening right now in the world, COVID, the racism, the political divisiveness, um, even divisiveness within the church, is this something that Christians can look to as the end times? How do you react to it? How do we deal with it? How do we talk about it? What's yeah. that look like just to deal with a what yeah. seems like a very difficult time in history? I
0: think, you know, first Peter chapter four, verse seven says the end of all things is near. I mean, my man was writing this a couple thousand years ago. So I mean, yeah,
2: in the sixties. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> so I think like the expectation of, of Jesus returning that we're in end times has been upon us uh, believers for you know, a couple thousand years now. So I think in response to that, he says, therefore be alert, sober minded, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Um, just as one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So I think like he gives us a blueprint of what life should look like. So should we fight against racism? Absolutely. Because how how can we be loving and hospitable to one another if we're not you know doing that? Um, should we should we be in, you know in the weeds wondering if Joe Biden's the Antichrist? I, I don't I don't think so. Uh, I think being sober and alert, like he says, be alert and sober minded for prayer. So I think not you know combing Fox News uh, or combing CNN, but but man, what does Scripture say about how I'm supposed to live? I think there is little said about. You know, should I, you know, get my ammo and get my guns and get my compound and more to, more said, I mean, there's nothing said about that. There, There's a lot said about how we're to love and serve and, and make yeah, disciples. Definitely. And, and so whether, whether Jesus, whether, whether Aaron's right or, or I'm right, or neither of us are right. There's at least enough of expectation of keeping our eyes on Jesus, yeah. knowing He, He will come back in one way or another. And whether, whether I'm, you know, what does Paul say? It's greater to be with the Lord, but as long as I'm in paraphrasing, but as long as yep. I'm here, yep. you know, I, I have reason to serve and and yep. reason to give my life for his purposes. So if we start looking and expecting to find practical, like like very specific practical fulfillments of apocalyptic writings. We're going to be prone to fearfulness, suspicion, um, worry. And to me, those have no parts in the life yeah, of a Christian. Definitely.
2: What do you think? Um, I, I wrote down uh, just three things for the person who is wrestling through this stuff and who's curious about this stuff or who's fearful around this stuff. Um, three kind of principles to follow. One, be studious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we should just check check out on this discussion. Um, And so you might not be preterist. That's fine. You might not be a futurist. That's fine. You might be idealist or historicist. That's fine. Like the reformers were, were in that camp, but be studious, like study the word. Uh, There's too many commands that Christians, you know, like when, uh, probably this analogy will work for people, but when you're preparing for a vacation, a couple weeks leading up to that vacation, you're, you're packing, you're getting mm-hmm. excited, you're Googling places to eat, like you're in preparation uh, and you're living now in light of what's coming. Christians are repeatedly commanded in the new Testament to live in light of the end. When we say your kingdom come, like in that prayer that Jesus taught us, what we're saying is your kingdom will come mm-hmm. one day. Your kingdom is coming. I mean, that's, that's my, my understanding of Revelation 20, your kingdom is coming and in some ways it's here. But we want to see it's 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 here, but it's not yet. It's come, it's arriving upon the scene, but there'll be a full and final consummation of that and fulfillment. And so we want to see What we know will be one day, we want to see that roll out through racial reconciliation and through um, caring and serving one another and through the declaration of truth and through the church being a light of love, true Christian love in the world. We want to see all those things now because that glorifies the Lord and that is manifestation of his kingdom. And so we need to be studious in that. We can't just check out because then we're not actually enacting what we're called to live in light of this, live in light of the day of the Lord, the second coming. The second thing I would say is be gracious. There's not enough of that. Doesn't mean you can't have your strong opinions on this stuff, but hopefully just as we've kind of discussed today with each other, having our opinions, our hermeneutical approaches, but we've done it. In care and in grace, hopefully, I think that's what's happened. Um, that's how we should trust. There's not enough that special on social media. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're an idiot for believing this. Like you're a fool. Like this person is the antichrist. Mm-hmm. Jesus is coming back yesterday. Like it's just, there's not a lot of grace there in compassion. And so, and the final thing I would say, which flies in the face of so much of what we hear today is be optimistic. Like the the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ was always a cause for comfort and joy instead of fear and pessimism and angst and anger. So be optimistic. And like we have a Savior who loved us, loved us so much, not only that he try, died to redeem us, but he's coming back for us. And that's a joyful thing. And that should empower our witness and it should empower mm-hmm. our worship. And so those are the things I would give to somebody who's studying this. Like don't check out on it. Continue studying. Be gracious to others and be optimistic and hopeful.
1: I think that's perfect way to wrap. An end times type podcast. Yeah, yeah. We need more of so, that. More positivity.
2: Uh, Jen, thanks so much for being on. My man. pleasure. It's it's always fun chopping up these really easy, clear topics. Right. <laughs> you got picked uh,
1: for the easy one. Yeah. Hey, it's all right. I, you
0: know, it's good to be here. And uh, you know, I I think we did. You know, if I can add this, did interact graciously on this, cool. and I am mad at you. And uh, I think uh, I think your admonition to be optimistic, gracious, and studious
2: is wise. Cool. Cool, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Jeffrey, thanks for for being our, being our, uh, our great audience today. Until next time, folks.
0: Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts,
1: Spotify, or anywhere you listen.
0: Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about the show and building 28
2: by visiting outofozpodcast.com.
0: New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.